Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones? Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say unstoppable, right? Yeah. You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on Mission Unstoppable. Can anyone stop these people? Good evening, and I am the unstoppable coach, Frankie Picasso, and you are about to go back to the dark continent with me on another Mission Unstoppable. Tonight we join up with a young man, a German national, AIDS HIV counselor, who at the age of 36 has been living, traveling, and working as a volunteer for much of his adult life. Going for months on end without a paying job, we will find out how he manages to live on his own terms, but first, I'll be right back in a moment, so stay close. Today is Tuesday, May 27th. The time in Toronto is 8 p.m., 5 in Los Angeles, 2 a.m. in South Africa. And just a reminder that I have a new show on Thursdays at 11 a.m. on Blog Talk Radio called Midlife Mojo with my co-host, Dr. Monique Chapman, an intuitive consultant. This is a show that helps you find yourself in midlife, and I hope to see you there. Let me thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network. My guest this evening is an incredibly brave young man. He is a former monkey keeper, carpenter, and world traveler. Please welcome Karsten Schreivogel. Hello, Karsten. Good evening. Hi, Frankie. Hi. Hi, and thank you, everybody who's joined us in the chat room. I see that you you found it. It's open. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Karsten, you have been volunteering in South Africa for about four or five months every single year since 1998. Now, you're 36 years old. Uh, have you ever had a long-standing paying job? Yeah, I would. Um, basically, I had two long-standing jobs in Germany. Um, one was so I worked as a primate keeper, and yeah. the job was on a seasoning schedule, you know, because the resort was closed in winter. So I, worked I just there think it's amazing. March. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, I worked there from March till November, and then I was off in Germany, so I decided to go to South Africa and work there. Since I'm sure that a lot November of people really envy you that your ability to, to travel and, and to keep yourself moving really on very little. I, I hear this question very often. I think everybody can do that, you know, but the people just stuck to their places or... Right, so they're really stuck. Yeah, they're really stuck within their their um, their boundaries, right? In their comfort zone, and they're afraid to to take that courageous step and just do it. I I don't know about other countries, but when when I speak about my my German home country or my culture, whatever the the people say, oh, I go traveling when I'm sixty, when I'm retired, you know. Mm-hmm. Because then I have the money or whatever. Now you have to stay in your country and you have to build up and blah 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 all these things. But um, I wonder how they will travel when they are seventy. And it, yeah, and they're older, and it's hard for them to move around. I totally hear you. Wow. So you, why have you picked South Africa as the country you continue to go back to? Now you've worked there as a monkey handler in in Monkeyland. 
Can you tell us yeah. about Munchland a little bit? Because, you know, I never even heard of that before until I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, coming to South Africa first time was sort of an not accident, but um, I've been to India and Southeast Asia before, but mainly India, and uh, I could not cope that culture. It was not my my country to travel and to, to stay. Now, what so, was it about India that you didn't like? Uh, life is complicated. All this, this easy things, you know, changing money, buying stuff, sending postcards, getting a train, getting a bus. This is this is all a hassle. There okay. Is, there is nothing working like you, I don't know, changing money can sometimes cost you about more than half a day. Oh, really? You, you wow. sign the traveler's check or whatever, and it's like, this is not your signature. Please do it again and again and again. And, uh, Lots of rules. Lots of rules and regulations for a guy who doesn't like them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe so that's why you like Africa. Not so many rules and regulations. No, they are, but... You know, the, the basic things like you need when you travel is always exchanging money or getting a bus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Africa works. Yeah? Okay. Maybe because so you, you, have, you are white skin or German or whatever, but even the traveling, if, you, if you're not afraid of using local transport, minibuses, you can come everywhere quite easy. So you 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 mentioned to me that you saw the country um, first as a as an outsider as a traveler, and through the different I guess times and years that you've gone back and the different positions that you've held within the country in South Africa specifically we're talking now, uh, you began to see the country from a different perspective, almost from one of somebody who lives there, but sees it from outside eyes. Well, the thing was when I came down the first time in '98. And you just been on the on the tourist route, you know. It's like this Cape Town, Stellenbosch, Winelands, Garden Route, this main tourist places. I mean, that's where you travel. And I planned to stay only one month because I I said, okay, one month I survived India, so I easily can survive one <laughs> month somewhere else. Right. And then I extended up to three months, and uh. Yeah, then you travel this 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 tourist places. Then you go home and you see every show is on Southern Africa. You start to watch on TV, mm-hmm. and then you see different things where you say, "Whoops, I did not recognize that," or "We, I've been there, but I didn't saw that." And yeah, then the year later, I started to work in Monkeyland, and then you live there. I lived there in a caravan with, oh, quite out in the bush. <laughs> oh my! And you realize there's there's a different life. How know? did you come to be a monkey keeper in Germany? Well, I started in Germany. Yeah. Um, basically, like I lived thing? quite close to Europe's largest primate resort, and uh, you're young, you need some pocket money, so I asked there for jobbing. Right. And that went well. Then I carried on with my career, did my apprentice, and met the company with my father, but that somehow didn't work quite well. And 
Then a friend came up to me and said, Hey, Carsten, you, you know, always jobs and I'm unemployed. Can't you find something for me? And then I said, Oh, yeah, wait, it's March. Let's go to Appenberg and check if there's a job for you. So I popped up there with him and you know, the manager said, Yeah, he can work when you work. Ah, so I okay. ended up there. So was there a specific and, primate that you worked with, Carson, or did you uh, work with all the monkeys? No, they were only Barbary macaques. Okay. Um, they are quite famous for Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't know, or a lot of the listeners don't know, Gibraltar is an English, still English, it's in Spain. Yeah, I know where and Gibraltar is. as long is. as these monkeys live there, it belongs to England. Okay, oh, really? Quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. I am in 1998, then I discovered Monkey Land, because when you work with monkeys, you go to places like that. Sure. And in 99, I just wrote to them and said, oh, I'm off in winter, and easy. Boom, there I was. <laughs> okay, so you, you were a monkey handler in Monkey Land, and today you, you, you're an AIDS and HIV counselor. How did you make that transition? Oh, that has something to do with my personal life. Let's say life broke me down quite hard in 2006. So I don't. Do you have a friend who that. who had HIV? No, I lost my family. Something like that. Okay. And uh, and you, I reached the point of, poof. What now, you know? I mean, I, I served my country well. I had good jobs and uh, all the things you need. But somehow you, you thought this must be something new. So I went to the clinic for 20 weeks and did some help there. And somehow my friends came out with this, oh, why not being development instructor? Mm-hmm. Going out to the people and share your knowledge and whatever. And uh, I did not like that very much because I don't want to change the culture. You know, because are you talking about South African Africa? Or huh? Are you talking about South Africa now? Like when Everywhere you, you, you go, I think all the development like... people try to change the people. Oh, right, right, right. And therefore I decided to go on the HIV and AIDS thing because this is tremendously important here. Right. Now, did you get your training in Denmark for that? Yeah. About a year, I spent. Uh, Ten months I spent in Denmark. Um, there is some um, Humana people to people. And they have these special trainings and that sort of studies there to do and you, you go out um I've been in the AIDS clinic in Copenhagen plenty times, and you check all these things. Mm-hmm. They also work quite close together with the United Nations and stuff like that. Right. So it must be very exciting. Uh, yeah, it's both. I mean, <clears throat> on one hand, if you if you if you do work like that, you you come quite close to the people, and you you go to the people where they live, where they are. Yeah. Okay, so now you're no longer a tourist. You're, you 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 uh, work you work with the locals, and so now you see things from a different perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to go there where the things happen. 
You know? So in South Africa, where have you traveled? What what towns, cities? Hmm. Hmm. I mainly was all over. Well, um, give us a night, nice, because our listeners aren't looking at a map. So you tell us the names. Give us those names. They sound exotic. Names that sound exotic. King in Lobo. <laughs> All the names sound exotic. Just tell us where you've been. Well, I know that you've been to Middleburg because you know Diane, and Diane Lang was on our show not too long ago, and, and I think that you volunteer at Care House, don't you? Yeah, I'm still here and still volunteer in her home. Right. Still enjoy that very much. Excellent. And we, we can talk about Diane and, and her story a little bit later, but okay, so you've been to Middleburg. No, I, I, I mainly been, you can start with Cape Town, and then you do all the wine lands. Bellenbosch, Paul, Franschuk, you can go north, Paris, Petersburg, wherever, then you go west side, you go to the Garden Route, Blackenberg Bay, Neisner, Mossel Bay, Wilderness, Bad George, you go out on, then you maybe carry on with Sitigama, PE, which is Port Elizabeth, sorry. Um, so of all the places, Carson, of all the places you've traveled, which one do you like the best? Huh? Which one's the prettiest? Prettiest? Yeah. That's difficult to say. Um, my favorite place is Nature's Valley. Mm-hmm. It's close to Pettenberg Bay. That's sort of a remote lake beach. And that's near Monkey Land, right? Yeah. Okay. Um... Then it's Coffee Bay, which is part of Transkei. I definitely love the Drakensberg area, the area around Winterton. I love St. Lucia, which is more subtropical. It's difficult to say. You know, South Africa, is, they say it's one world in one country, so you have all different places. Now, if you depends on what you like to do and what your mood is. You know, if you want to go to party, you go to Stellenbosch, or you go to Cape Town. Um, if you want a bit more quiet, you go Nature's Valley or somewhere in the Drakensberg in the mountains. If you want to live more with locals and be more in touch with the people, you go Transkei. Well, you know, before you came on the show today, we were, we, we, you know, we had a brief minute to chat about what's been going on in South Africa, and I know that when, um, I guess two weeks ago, when when I had Lynn on from Port Elizabeth, uh, she, you know, we were talking about, or, um, you know, we were talking about the safety of the country, and of course, where she lives in in her little valley, you know, she feels quite safe, um, but this past week, there's been some things going on in Africa that that aren't really um, safe, right? I mean, we were talking what forty or fifty thousand people have been displaced. Yeah, because would, but you know, what is in South Africa? You have uh, this, this. Can I explain that the poor and the rich live sometimes are close together? And right. If you check all the all the places where these things happen, Cape Town, the Bay, Neisner. These are all expensive places, you know, and unfortunately a lot of the people move there because they're being there, they find jobs and whatever, but um, they don't find them there. Right. Because there are too many already. 
And what happened now in the last two weeks is that the, the black people, South Africans, start to attack black people from Somalia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique. They killed them sometimes, they stabbed them, they burned down their shops. So there's a lot of movement going on at the moment. And and they're doing this so that there'll be a place for them to have work? Why do they do that? I, I you know, like like I, I know from them from, from Plattenberg Bay. I just came back from Plattenberg Bay and we hosted some Somalians because they were friends of my friends. Right. They had a little shop. You know, they they started their business and they had a little shop and the others were just jealous about that. Huh? But Carson, um, like, do you feel safe there? Oh, I can't hear you now. Do you feel safe in, in South Africa? I know that you've personally been attacked a couple of times. Do you want to tell that oh, story? Long, Not long that time. long ago you were you were attacked, right? Yeah, in the end of January, I was attacked in Stellenbosch in the middle of the town, and I was quite lucky to have my eyelids still. And did they, what did they take your, your well, I guess they they tried to rob you, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And they beat you? Yeah, they got some knives, and as I said, it was quite close to my left eye. And and then so. when you went to the police... And this is this seems to be a common complaint. When you went to the police, they said, "What? It didn't happen." My other police said, it, it, "This won't happen at this place. This is in the middle of the town. They're safe. There nothing happens. We know where these people go, and we know them all. You know." So in effect, um, and you're lying. That was their statement, and I, <laughs> I watched. So I looked to them and say, uh, "How do you think this comes from?" Right. Yeah. And but, you had another um, friend who got attacked in the same place, right? Yeah. Two weeks later, they were marked too. First, funny enough, he's studying just law now in mm-hmm. University of Stellenbosch. On the property, they stole his bike. <laughs> oh, my God. Two weeks later, they were marked also in the middle of Stellenbosch. And they also went to the police, and the police said the same story. This can't be... This is safe, and that was all. Why? Uh, what is it about the the police that I keep hearing in South Africa that they're in such the denial? They're in such denial about any acts. Is it because they're involved in it? Is it because they don't want to look incompetent? What do you think it is? Why do they always say it? You know, nothing happened. Mainly, they are corrupt. Okay. You know, like I. I told you before, I stayed in Plettenberg, but I stayed in Kurland, which is sort of a township. I stayed there with my Kosa friend, I know since years. And, and the police in there, you know, if they get a drug dealer, the drug dealer pays them, gives them also some marijuana, and they went off. That's how it works. All right, so they have yeah, a history of corruption, a history of being paid off, and a history of violence, really. And, and yeah, I have to ask you, why do you love this country so much? Well, why do I love this country? You know, if all would be like the police, it would be difficult. But as I said, I just went to my friend or I met other people here, and it's great people. They're great at heart, and mm-hmm. um, they are happy with, with the things they have. 
some of them. Meeting people you know? for the things they don't have. And they they live a, a life where it is not addicted to what car do you have, you know, not this show me what you have and I show you who you are. Right, right. That is one of the things I really don't like in, in Europe, or especially in Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, when the neighbor washes the car on Friday, you have to, and the neighbor buys a new car, then you at least must buy a new and a bit bigger one. Right. And here the people just in, enjoy their life. A walk to the mountain can be as gorgeous as a, I don't know, stay in a five-star hotel. You Let's know? just give out the number here for a second. I'm talking uh, to Karsten Schreivogel. We are on Blog Talk Radio, Mission Unstoppable. The number is 646-595-3741. If you want to call in and ask him any questions, ask him about South Africa, his experiences. If you would like to join us in the chat room, I do have that window open as well. You're welcome to ask questions in there, and I will relay them on to Karsten. So... You have been uh, traveling around. You have your own ideas about what's going on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you feel um, about South Africa now, the country, the blacks versus the white. What do you see there in in that relationship? Can they get along? Is there hope? They try. I mean, I, I think in, we should not forget that it's only – let's say, 15, 16 or whatever years ago, then apartheid really ended. Mm-hmm. But it's quite a young period if you look back for how many years apartheid took place, you know? Right. It is, when I speak from, from, from Germany as a comparison, we have this reunited and we still have East and West. And we mm-hmm. were brothers and sisters. So therefore... It really needs a, a longer time here uh, because there are too many gaps in education and especially money-wise then. Uh, white people still have their money from before and the black people unfortunately not, or most of them not. And the ones who, who come to power, they also <laughs> try to get as much money as possible out of this country. And hence yeah. the corruption, right? Yeah, for example. Or just, if, I just refer again to my to my trip to Plattenberg Bay. The, the mayor there, mm-hmm. he just bought a car for 700,000 rand, which is about 60,000 euros. Okay. And he bought with the tax money. Oh, really? Yeah, and, this is, and this is community money. So this money should normally be used to build up the community, electricity, water, houses, streets, education programs, whatever. Right. But he just insists of, he, I need a good car. So this guy is now driving a brand new Merc. Nice. And there you ask yourself, what for? Right. You know, he's elected, he's from the ANC. Sure. He's elected, and one of the first things he did is, oh, I buy a new car. So, seven hundred thousand rand. Do they have impeachment so, there? Can they can they impeach these people that they've elected? When are the elections? How often are the elections? Oh, I don't know about that. Five mm-hmm. years, I think. They elect them four or five years. Do you think they can get rid of these people? 
you know, it's, it's the same thing with the police. It's, it's, then somehow all brothers and sisters and all the, I call it like that, all the, the black people, you know, they vote the ANC. That's how it is. Like the elections there, they went on with the other parties. They printed their flyers and pamphlets and put on the, the picture from the person they vote. You know what I mean? The candidate. Right. But the ANC just print on Tabo and Becky. So the people <laughs> see, oh, Becky, president, good. He was the one after Madiba, we vote. Yeah. They don't even Diane, know. Diane just said the elections are every eight years. And she's, she's saying that 85,000 white people leave South Africa every month. Have you seen that evidence well, of that? Now you see it in, you see it all over. So, I mean, if you, if you walk through the cities, you see always houses to rent or to sell. Where do you they go? That. Where do these people go? England. Really? America. I mean, mainly wow. to, to English-speaking countries. And you can't you can't blame them on on on, on one point I, I blame them because they don't have the butt to be here mm-hmm. you know because they have the knowledge and the power to carry on here mm-hmm. um, but on the other hand it is it is very difficult to to live here they have this job restrictions about how many percent of black employees you need, how many of them have to be in the management, which is basically not bad, which which grows in employment in the lower section. Right. But those people are not those people are not educated. Right. Well, I mean, we have that here. We have it over here. I mean, we you know we are, I guess our. Um you know, we have multiculturalism, and so when, when people are hiring, it has to be so many women, so many ethnic, you know, uh, minorities. Yeah, but that multiculture thing is here difficult. Yeah. You maybe, it maybe will work in, in, in some smaller places. Maybe maybe in, in Plattenberg Bay or maybe in Stellenbosch it will work, but, you know... Most of the white people, and, and there you have to make your, your big difference between the, the English white and the Afrikaans white. Mm-hmm. They they hide. You know, the Afrikaans white, they still live on their farms like in the old days. And they hide. And if you ever go to South Africa, you, you never saw so many houses fenced in and wires and, and everything. Really? Yeah. Well, look at look at what happened in Zimbabwe with that farmer. You know, we I I know that you probably got that same email I got this week. Uh, the wife and the and the husband, you know, were knock came at the door and they said, "Let us in with their machine guns and everything." And and you know, they beat the couple up unbelievably. And and uh, they were calling the police with their cell phone from the upstairs in the house. And the police didn't bother answering or coming or anything. And then finally, when the whole thing was over, the police show up and oh, what happened to you? But sorry to say, they could be happy that they're still alive. That's true. You know, but they, I mean, they should be happy that they're still alive. But you know what? They shouldn't have been beaten up in the first place. They, that was their home. What gives somebody the right to come to your home and say, "Give me your things"? Yeah, but this this started long time ago. When I was in Zimbabwe in 1999, it already started. 
already the white people moved out. I mean, there they were not forced like they are forced now in the last years, you know. So do you think it was their and, fault, the white people's fault for this happening? Or, I mean, honestly, I, I don't, and, and I don't know if there's, you know, I, I don't think that there's been white people involved as far as I can tell with the genocide in Uganda in Somalia, and in, in these different places, but I have seen an unbelievable um, degree of, of, of violence, and not vi- it goes beyond violence. It go, it, it terror goes beyond terror. It, it's it's monstrous behavior, like ex- to the extreme. The, the the things that they think of, like the tire. You know, Diane mentioned the tire last time she was on, and and you see it again this week, this past week. You know, where they put the tire around, they put gasoline in it, and they burn you. It's a necklace. They call it the necklace, right? Who thinks up these things? I know that you said that. You know, Winnie Mandela thought this one up, but just you know, we've talked about them hacking off limbs and 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 on children and eating flesh and being uh, cannibals. Like this, this is is unprecedented as far as I can see anywhere else in the world. Yeah, but with all that, you know, um, first of all, <coughs> mainly the people can do it because they don't have to fear of the police. They like that. Even if that sounds very hard, but you know, if, if no one is there to <laughs> to check up on you, or you know, oh, my brother's brother is there and he will, you know, protect me. That is one of the things. The other thing is, you also should not forget, okay, South Africa has the highest criminal rate and South Africa also has the highest alcohol consumption rate. Right. And if you if you check on the movies or on the, on the news, you see these people, they can't walk straight. Huh? Now, is there alcoholism or alcohol in, in imbibing, let's say? Is is there any direct correlation or relation to the fact that 75% of the country is dying from AIDS anyway? Do they care? The whole alcohol thing, like I was writing to you, and it's maybe a hard statement, but you must see it in a, in a, in a wider way. It is on, on one point, people are hungry, mm-hmm. you know? Right. They need food, whatever. But but somehow, instead of buying bread, and whenever you go past the streets in South Africa, the people are begging for money. Oh, I don't have money for a loaf of bread and whatever. But you smell from 50 meters that they had nearly a bottle of whiskey. Right. So somehow they still have something to drink but nothing to eat. And, and this is because the other point no is then with a with a lack of or a lesser education, and this is this is proven, then you start to become more violent. And then if you start to become more violent mm-hmm. and you don't have a police who is really behind because you know, oh my brother or my neighbor knows this one. Oh yeah. Right. And the things just carry on. But Carson, do you think it's because they have no future? There's really what's what's for them to look forward to? Violence, AIDS. I think they need some role models who who, who show them how it works. You know. Okay. Where are they going to come if, from? If I go back to to my friend Eric and Nono, they they work since ten years in Monkeyland and and they do well. They got now their starter house. They have nice TV, nice. Nice house, actually. 
mm-hmm. and they have now some relatives there, some niece or whatever, and they try to to show them that way. Right. But most of them are hopeless, and then it's the spiral. You're in there. You know, you live from day to day. Your neighbor gives you the dacha. The other neighbor has some self-brewed beer or whiskey. And then you're in. We all know that. It's also a problem in our country. Right. But what I don't understand, because it seems to me that I've never witnessed this anywhere else, is that... There's so many in the black community. Why don't they help each other? They could be giving each other a leg up. Instead, they tear each other down. Like if they're in power and they could be, you know, making things better, but they're ripping off their brothers. Like I don't understand why they do this. I think the point comes more also from the top. You know, like when this happens now with these attacks to the foreigners, both Zuma, the president of, um, or the leader of the ANC, and Becky, they were not in the country. They only came later. Right. And they don't really take care of their people. They promise houses and whatever, but, you know, the people see them in their fancy cars and fancy houses, and they... They don't really take care down to the bottom where it's needed. And this yeah. is in all the fields. This is in HIV and AIDS counseling. This is in education. This is this is all, all over. So they don't really where the budget go take to? care down. Where does the biggest budget go to other than their, than their uh, pockets? Where's the money being spent? Where's the money? Fancy lifestyle. Yeah. Private jet for Tabo and Becky. Or um, that was in, before the second Iraq war happened, what took place, they made a deal and bought some submarines. And they said, oh, America maybe don't like us, and with these submarines we can maybe, blah, blah, blah. And after that deal, the whole government got a new Merc 500. And the submarines are laying somewhere in Simonstown, and they don't have qualified people to get these things running. Yeah, that's pretty And they have a nice lifestyle. So let's get back to you and and your volunteerism and, and, you know, how you're working with children. And are you working – I know that you're working at Care House. How are the kids at Care House today? How are Diane's kids? Oh, they were fine. They're fine? Actually, I didn't saw them a lot yesterday because I just arrived. Mm-hmm. And it, I got some good relations to most of them, and it's fine. Quite, it's amazing to work with them. It's, it's, from some, you know, the history, and that is not a nice history, not at all. And you see how they, we are at the moment big in some math tests, and you see how they improve, and you give them the results, and you say, no, they, they do well. So what would you say well. to people over here, Karsten, who might be thinking of adopting a child or helping one of the kids at Care House? What would you tell them? Why don't you describe what the situation is like for them before they came into the house and, and how their lives look like today from, from your perspective, what you see? 
but think before most of them didn't saw a future. They, they were living on the street? Yeah. And what they lived the from day to like day there? without knowing or from hour to hour, but mainly from, from day to day, not knowing if they find food in the rubbish bins or if they got raped again or if they got eaten up again or whatever. Was so there they, anyone to look after them on the street? Did anybody care or, or, or you know, they're raped, they're, they, they're starving? Who, who comes to them? Nobody. Mainly nobody. Just Diane. Mainly nobody. Yeah. Diane here. There are maybe some some other places, but it's then mainly some some volunteer organizations and things like that. It is it is just common. It is part of the life in the township. So it's, how often would would a child eat? Do you think? How often would a child be beaten? No, eat on the street. How how often do you think they would eat? It depends on how much is in the rubbish bin. Every couple of days? Can happen, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have children who have not eaten for, I think, 10 days and before they what, came here. And the ages? Well, how young might you find well, a child in the garbage bin? I think the youngest was about five or so, but you find, but they were already living on the street for two, three years. Wow. And it is like in, in, in Mozambique, and um, from there I know it, because there are evidence. Um, there is it quite common that the, the families come and bring their children. It's about two or three years. They just drop them at the corner in Maputo, in the major city, and they leave. And they bring what the do they think will happen to do they think their child will just die, or do they think somebody will come and, and look after it? And, and why do they even have these kids? No, so this, this, this people, because I interviewed some of them, they highly believe that they have a better life and the child will make their way in town. But imagine these are two, three years old children. Unbelievable. I, mean, I don't know, but most of them normally still have nappies, can't really walk, right. can't really talk properly, so how will they survive? But we have children here who survived that. That's incredible. And they do great. You know, and I think that is the main, that is one of the main differences that these children here mm-hmm. see a future now. They At have, their house. Yeah. Yeah. They have plans, they have ideas, they have wishes. Isn't that great? They, they, they find a way to realize a wish. You know? Tell me about what some of them want to be. One wants to be the president of South Africa. Oh, great. He wants to stop he wants to stop the crime and he wants to help his people, he wants to give them houses. I made some surveys about their dreams and wishes and How old is he, Carson? He he's fifteen now. Fifteen. Fifteen years old and he wants to be the president and give the people houses and cars and things and stop the corruption. Isn't that great? They are all great in that. I think yeah. from from the ones I made the service, they all go into that, that corner, into that niche. They really? all either want to be a policeman and they write down a non-corrupt policeman Isn't or want to great? be lawyers or whatever. 
How, how you know, it's incredible, isn't it, that as a child they understand corruption? I don't think my kids would really understand corruption if I mentioned it to them. You know? Yeah, but you grow up here with it, you know? Yeah. You grow up here with it. It is well, that you, I don't know, you know if, if your neighbor beats you, you, you don't have to call the police because he's the brother-in-law of this police inspector. So right. nothing will happen. How you know? awful for They him. grow up with that. They... They grow up in a, in a totally different world. Yeah. And that is, I think, very special in South Africa. The first that thing would you mentioned before, a life is not worth much here. Right. Children or adults. It's, I think it is in this, um, what is the movie called? Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Blood Diamond. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. When he plays with this, gun and he says, ah, in America it's bling bling and here it's bling bang. Yeah. Wow, that was a heavy Yeah. That is very true. Life is not worth much here. Has it always been that way? Has it always been that way? I mean... Oh, we have a caller. Hang on. It looks like it might be Diane. (laughs) Hello there. Hi. Hi. Is that you, yeah. Diane? Yes. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm fine, thanks. Is that you, Diane? Yes. yes. Hi. How are you? Hi. Hi, You're I'm on fine. air. You're on air, and yes. so you need to turn your volume down on your computer to the show because we're getting a delay. Can you hear me now? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. I just called um, to tell you about Carsten. Okay. Um... There's no delay now, is there? No, no, we're good. Okay. I just wanted to tell you that I think that Carsten is the most wonderful volunteer. Um, In fact, um, he surpasses any volunteer we've ever had. He is um, the most compassionate, passionate, motivated, intelligent, uh, the most experienced, um, kindest uh, volunteer. Um, I'm absolutely blessed to have him in my life, and the children absolutely love him, and they are also incredibly blessed to have him in their lives. And he should have gone after six weeks, but he's been there for months now, and um, he's extended his visa, and... Um, I'll be absolutely devastated if he leaves. Oh. And I love him with all my heart, and I've never met him. And we talk on the Skype, and um, the children love him to bits. And he has, he is, um, and has um, put the children's home back on its feet in my absence. And... Um, Children's Home is running as if I was there myself. And um, I am eternally grateful to Carsten. Carsten, what do you say about that? I'm getting quite red now. (laughs) (laughs) 
That isn't the Thanks, internet Diane. absolutely amazing? Like, we have never met. Diane and I are like best friends we've never met. You and Diane, you, you saved her, her children and her house, and, and she loves you to bits, and you've never met in person. Yet, we develop these incredibly intense relationships through, you know, cyberspace. How amazing is that? And to our listeners, and you're listening to us, how amazing do you think this is? I think it's great. So, Carlton is uh, the most amazing person, and um, I just want to say that through this um, Mission Unstoppable, I have um, I have been um, lifted up by um, Dr. Ellen Russell, Frankie Picasso, and Carlton, and between the three of you. Um, you have helped me to carry on with my fight for the children and the human rights of the children in South Africa. And I will honor you for the rest of my life. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you, and we honor you too. And you've been listening to Diane Lang, who's the author of Saving Mandela's Children. Please, I beg you, go out and find this book. You can get it on Amazon.com. You can get it on her website, um, DianeLangFoundation.com, I believe it is, and and you will be in for quite a read. And it's from her heart, and it's quite easy to read. What a fabulous book it is, Karsten. Um, that was right. That was quite the recommendation and and, and commendation that uh, Diane has given to you. And and it it sounds like she knows what she's talking about. Because it shows in the faces of the children and in their smiles and in the letters and in the conversations she has with them. Well, I I try what I can do, you know. I mean, it is. It is. Think you'll stay? Will you stick around for a bit? No, no. It is. (laughs) It is quite easy to to, you know, at the place here, you you mainly have the things you need to work, mm-hmm. yeah? and with, with Diane in the background with her amazing work she's doing in fundraising and whatever, and her ideas, and also the children, it, is, it just comes as it comes, and then you, you, you jump from one point to another and you, you grow, you know? I just like to, since I have you both online um, and we're talking about the children, let's just talk about how, you know, things got quite desperate at Care House with Diane having to leave. You know, she's been under attack by the Scorpions, the secret police of South Africa. She's had very difficult times trying to raise money for the children. And so since we do have a listening audience this evening, if is there something that they can do to help the kids um, money-wise, food or, or, or clothing-wise, or... Um, just supporting them in, in any way possible. Diane, can you just tell us how, how they can do that? They could sponsor one of the children for us. That would be really great. Um, and if they could just send us an email, um, they can get our email addresses by going onto our webpage, which is just uh, com, And it's Diane with two N's and an E. L-A-N-G, com, and our email addresses are on there, and we will give them all the details how they can sponsor a child. If they can sponsor a child for any amount that they can afford, um, and then the child will write to them once a month, 
and um, they can have a personal relationship with the child. Um, and that would be really, really great if they could just do that. I have to say, I just got a great picture of the kids. Thank you so much for sending that. I just, I did. We just picked up the mail today, and it's probably been there for a little bit. But these are the most beautiful children. They're absolutely gorgeous. They got smiles. Yes, of course, they are. They're my children. They, they are, are children. the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the yeah. brightest children in the whole world. There you go, right from the horse's mouth. And Carson, I'm sure that you'll second that. I'm still here. Yeah, um, I think you'll second that. They are beautiful kids, are they not? Yeah. Oh, come on, Carsten. They are the most beautiful children. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. are. They really, really are lovely children, children and, and they got these wonderful smiles, and it's so great to see uh, them be so happy. And, and it's not just their mouths. It's coming from their eyes as well because, you know, they're not living on the street. They're not eating garbage. They are having wonderful meals, which you can see on the video. These kids, um, you know, I got a video from you, Carsten, uh, you know, they're eating really well, and, and 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 they're going to school, and they have beautiful rooms, and they have chores, and just like other kids do, um, and living a normal life, and it's great. You built a beautiful home for them, Diane. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. No, when I say we're beautiful, you know, beauty is always a but the whole the whole attitude of these children, the whole the. The whole energy they put in something, or they, when you, you see them practicing gambu dancing, or even when you only take them out for a walk and you talk to them, and, and, and it's just, just amazing that that gives you. When I sometimes have 14 or 18 hours of work, but you get that energy back from the children. Right. You know, and they are in their way so grateful for that. They they show you that they come to you and run to you and hug you even if they are 18. Oh. Huh? Or just when I came back after that four days when I when I left, some of them had some tears in their eyes because they thought I would leave now for for good. And that is just amazing. I guess I guess they don't have very long relationships in their life, do they? Well, a a, a terrible thing has. Um, a serious damage was done when I had to leave South Africa because now they they are afraid that everybody will leave and not come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even our children here, when they're little, you know, you're going to go out for the evening and they freak out. They don't want you to go. They're afraid you're not going to come home. And, and imagine, you know, not ever having a home and finally having a home and worrying that everybody's going to leave you again. That's, yeah. that's a real fear for them, and, and it is. Yeah, yeah but them it's not only the, 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 the leaving. Um, sorry, that is, you know, most of these children have been neglected, abused, and whatever from their families. Yeah. So they never had the thing which is called love, yeah. or the thing that someone takes care for their needs. Yeah. And this can be... Easy things like in the evening, two of them said, "I need new pens because mine broke or whatever." And you, you you bring them back, you go to the office and you grab some pens, ball pens or whatever, and you you gave it to them, and they they're so grateful for that. They never had that in their lives, you know. When they were abandoned for three years and lived on the rubbish bin, so yeah. what do they know from their parents? What love did they get from their parents? And, and or left on the street in the middle of a yeah. town. 
a busy and whoever yeah. was listening to their voice. You know, to their wishes, and to some of them, you you still realize, or I still realize at the moment, um, that it's if you ask them, what do you like, what do you want, for some of them, it's still very, very difficult to express themselves and their wishes. Right. Yeah. And that is but, the you thing. Know, that, Diane, you see them as the future of the country, and and really. These are one of the few children who are actually getting love and attention and a real chance at a future. Um, and so they, they will be brought up with a different uh, perspective than, than their peers, a lot of their peers. Yeah. They and will. So it will be really, really hard if this house has to go down uh, because Diane's not there and she's unable to get... Um, any donations. So I encourage you, if you have any ideas, brainstorm uh, the heck out of them and see how you can help uh, fund the children for you know a while longer. And I highly encourage you to uh, adopt one or sponsor one anyway, and and have them write to you because they are lovely. And you get a video maybe. <laughs> I've got a couple yeah. videos of them singing and dancing, and and they really are incredible. They're really awesome. Carson, what's I'm next for you? Huh? What's next for you? Where do you see yourself going? Are you going to stick around uh, Care House for a bit, or where are, you, where, where are you off to? At the moment, I'm working on prolonging my stay here. Okay. <laughs> That's so, good to know. A few. <laughs> I, I already went a couple of weeks ago to Namibia to get a new visa. And I'm at the moment working on staying longer. Do you think that you're going to get tired of being um, a traveler and just maybe become a, a, a permanent resident of South Africa? Do you see that happening? Can happen, yeah. Yeah. Can happen. I mean, with all the bad things, I mean, still, still there are people which are better, and maybe this home is sort of the end of a travel, I don't know, but it, it can be. Mm-hmm. At least at the moment, I'm more than will to stay longer, uh, but this is not really in my hands. It's difficult to get permits in this country and all that stuff, but we are busy on working on that. Diane, you grew up in the Transkei. You grew up in South Africa. It's your home country. What do you say and see to the violence that, that's happening? Has, have you seen this before? Well, yes, uh, I have seen the necklacing. Um, I saw the necklacing when it was used as an excuse um, for the anti-apartheid movement. Um, and um, I'm seeing it again now. In fact, before it started, I... Uh, uh, um, I was talking about it, and um, I, I've 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 got a, a few theories as to why it is happening. First of all, I think it's because our president Mbeki has been so um, accommodating with uh, uh, Mugabe in um, Zimbabwe. If if the leader of a country doesn't see and doesn't do anything about uh, another country's human rights abuses, the people 
that he is leading will also see that country's people as being subhuman and therefore not worthy of being kept alive. That's one, my one theory. The second theory is, is that the South Africans are generally lazy. They expect the jobs to land up in their laps, whereas the foreigners are so grateful to have a job. They're all out there creating jobs, doing jobs, working hard, um, and sending money home to, to their families. Um, and and uh, uh, creating jobs as well, um, having shops and so on. Then the South Africans are fed with envy, and envy is a very ugly, ugly thing. Um, and then it becomes, you've got and I haven't got. you taking the jobs from us. We are poor. you taking the jobs. So therefore... Let us destroy what we haven't got. And it becomes you versus them versus us. And so they destroy what they don't have. Um, and so I see that a lot of what has happened with me as well. Middleburg didn't create the children's home. Um, so there was a, there is and has been a lot of professional jealousy. So they didn't create the children's home, so they set out to destroy it. Right. So there's a lot of envy as well. Um, so uh, I think that has also been part of it. I think it's very involved. It's not a simple A cause B. Um, also, when you had... Um, Leaders like Winnie Mandela, who started the, the necklacing, who made, who made it acceptable to the people. It becomes, it becomes acceptable way of dealing with things that they don't like. But still, it's no excuse. I think it's barbaric. It's, it's sickening. And it yeah. makes me ashamed of being South African. Wow, I have to. You know, it is sickening. It really is sickening, and um, it seems a shame. But a society that rapes babies, um, that treats their children the way South Africans treat their children, where there's no compassion and empathy, where where um, where the uh, the government um, makes such a big difference between the haves and the have-nots. Where a democracy is 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 where there is no actual democracy, where people fear, live in fear. Um, um, this is not. I, a got, good I got to stop you, Diane, because we we got just a few okay. seconds left. This is not not a good place to be. No. So um, I'm going to also say goodbye. Thank you. And thank you very Bye. much. Thanks for Bye-bye. calling. Bye. Bye. Karsten, it looks like you're up for a Volunteer of the Year Award, and I certainly uh, give you my vote for that. Uh, on behalf of the children at Care House, I want to thank you for doing everything that you're doing and just going around the country and, and helping everybody that you have for so long. I I really uh, commend you for, for that and um, acknowledge you for, for the work that you've been doing. Thanks. But as I said, it's 
you get you get more back than you give, you know. Yeah, that's usually the case. I want to thank you, everybody. Uh, you know who you are for joining us this evening. I uh, thank you wherever you are in the world for tuning in. Uh, Thursday, don't forget, new show, Midlife Mojo. Thank you, Karsten. Have yourself a wonderful day or evening wherever you are in the world. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Good night.